When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy day after Wednesday. Happy day before Friday. Happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. Uh, I'm not going to joke around, kid around today. I got two fires. I'm going to start two fires today. One, I've prepared and baked in an oven and uh, it's going to be amazing. The second one may be better. I haven't prepared it. I haven't baked it in the oven. I just feel it in here. And man, buckle up, get ready. We have, this should be our best show ever today. So I, 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 I don't want to overhype it. I don't want to underhype it. I do want to tell you, uh, those of you in the Fearless Army, uh, call your friends and family. Call anybody that uh, cares about sports, cares about the country, cares about uh, what's going on in American culture right now. Uh, call them and tell them to go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock and join the Fearless Army right now. I'm going to give you a few seconds to uh, step away from your laptop, put your iPhone down, whatever you're doing to call your friends and family. <laughs> Whitlock's about to set it off today uh, because I am. Uh, I'm going to call in some soldiers to help me. Uh, Dave Shannon, we're going to revisit uh, with Dave out in Idaho. Uh, Dave is our newest soldier that we added. Uh, he was on, I believe, on Tuesday. Uh, then we're going to go out to Rashad McCants, uh, <laughs> who joined, who enlisted a couple of weeks ago and has just been dropping bodies uh, ever since. Uh, Korean Cosell, Steve Kim, is going to bat cleanup, or actually, uh, Uncle Jimmy is actually in the cleanup spot now. Uh, he's going to come in and tell us how we did and give us an approval rating on uh, Aaron Rodgers, who will be one of our topics uh, for today. Uh, and may or may not be involved. There may be three fires today. I, I can't predict how many fires there will be today. I know of at least two. There could be three or four. Uh, so I need you guys to hit that subscribe button. I need you to hit the notifications button. I need you to go tell your friends to join the Fearless Army. I need you to drop me a comment I answered a bunch of comments yesterday, if you guys are, have been following along in the comments. So if you, when you leave a comment, I hop in there and, and respond. And so I, I, I want 3,000 comments 
and I want 6,000 likes for this show that I have prepared for you. These types of fires, you're not gonna get anyplace else. Uh, so, let me get to it, <clears throat> and I'm gonna pick up where I left off. Uh, yesterday, I may have spent too much time and energy excoriating Rachel Maddow and her minions, Joy Reid and Nicole Wallace. The ridicule of MSNBC's Three Stooges distracted from my main takeaway from Tuesday's election results. Big tech, its social media apps, its algorithms, its artificial intelligence, its endless supply of dopamine, its Northern California values. Big tech is the real enemy of the people. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey pull the puppet strings of the Three Stooges and everyone else making a living in corporate media. America's cultural collapse is a failure of men, a reflection of man's moral decay and weakness. The derision I unleashed at the NBC host is best directed at Zuckerberg and Dorsey, the immoral and weak men profiting from and sanctioning the assault on truth. Maddow, Reed, and Wallace do what Facebook and Twitter tell them to do. Lie, divide, and conquer. Our lawmakers, both Democrat and Republican, do what Facebook and Twitter pay them to do. Lie, divide, and conquer. Big Tech invites and rewards big lies. Big Tech is at the root of the division fracturing America. Big Tech is the BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, Alphabet Mafia's primary source of power. Big Tech is emasculating men, dismantling belief in nuclear families, promoting the matriarchy, demonizing Judeo-Christian values, and demonizing the culture of Western civilization. Facebook, Twitter, and Google cast Donald Trump as Adolf Hitler and a Russian spy so that the American people would never see Zuckerberg and Dorsey as the publishers of, Prav of Pravda for the Biden regime. Tuesday, voters in Virginia recoiled from the big lies being sold by the left and their collaborators in Silicon Valley. Tuesday's election results, the victories by Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears in Virginia, were a victory for truth, justice, and the American way. But there will be no spoils for that victory if we do not properly identify the lessons taught and the actions necessary to capitalize on the momentum created. My column yesterday focused too much attention on the puppets and not nearly enough on the puppet masters. I cluttered and distracted from my point with a humorous barrage on Maddow, Reed, and Wallace. Big tech has turned America into Babylon. Its seduction of corporate media has eviscerated truth. The absence of truth creates an absence of morality and persistent chaos. There's only one solution. Men must return to God.
Glenn Youngkin wore his faith publicly. So did Winston Sears. Listen for yourself. There's a there's a moment where we need to speak the truth. And and at this time, I think so many people are trying to divide us and uh, tell one group that they should be different than another. And it's time for us to come together. And I as I traveled around this great Commonwealth of Virginia that I feel so blessed to represent going forward, what I heard from from folks from all walks of life, no matter where they no matter where they are in life, is that they were tired of the divisiveness and it was time yes. for us to come together. If you can't identify the problem, then how can you come up with a solution? So we've got to stop this divisiveness. There's a psalm that I live by. I used it in my campaign, and it's Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace and harmony. That's what we want. God is the only one who can cut down the lies packaged and sold through the social media matrix. The wearing of his faith allowed Virginia voters to recognize the truth coming from Glenn Youngkin's mouth. This is the flaw of Donald Trump. He speaks the truth, but he clutters and distracts from the truths he espouses with an ungodly tone and presentation. I suffer the exact same problem. I curse too much. I delight in ridiculing and embarrassing my adversaries. I like to brawl. I enjoy verbal skirmishes. I wrestle in the mud with pigs and then wonder why people see me as one too. Yunkin and Sears don't have these problems. They fearlessly lead with love while standing firm on the principles taught in the Bible. Rational people can hear them. Women can hear them. Yunkin scored big with women voters. Women follow men who follow Jesus. That's the lesson from Virginia that corporate media will not tell you. Big Tech is leading an assault on the truth, which is an assault on God. The social media companies based in Northern California are imposing San Francisco values on America. As I explained in a previous column, San Francisco is a city that developed its culture during the California gold rush of the 1850s. Men left their families and descended on the Bay Area in search of gold and riches. At one point during the gold rush, San Francisco's population was more than 90% men. Cross-dressing and homosexuality took root in Northern California during the gold rush. You do not have to take my word for it. Do your own research. The information and history are easy to find. Much of it has been written by LGBTQ newspapers and outlets. Northern California has been defined by greed and immorality for 170 years. The gold rush was corrupt. The people who made the most money were the business owners who best exploited the miners hunting for gold. Nothing has really changed other than the region's ability to influence the rest of the country. Big Tech's social media apps have allowed San Francisco to replace New York as America's information and cultural hub. The entire Alphabet Mafia is rooted in the Bay Area. 
the launching pad of the Marxist-driven Black Panther Party and the LGBTQ movement. Northern California is the most secular region in America. Zuckerberg and Dorsey are its leaders. Facebook, Twitter, and Google reinforce the lies told by the corporate media outlets desperate for relevance on their platforms. Men can have babies. Marriage is for everyone. America is irredeemably racist and evil. Police randomly kill black men. Black people who promote self-reliance are sellouts in Uncle Tom's. Public schools should teach kids about gender identity. Parental rights, they're white supremacy. Those lies are told and supported and reinforced by Facebook, Twitter, and Google. Big tech is the big lie. They're the gatekeepers. They're the masters of the matrix. They're supporting all the lies that are promoting all the division and chaos in America. The solution is simple. We need more politicians, whether Democrat or Republican, to wear their Christian faith publicly. It's the only way to expose the lies and motivate voters. It's the only way to save this country. That's the lesson we should learn from Glenn Youngkin and Virginia. That's one fire. I'm going to bring in Dave Shannon to help me fan the flames of this fire. Uh, Dave, he calls himself Chocolate Knox. Uh, he lives out in Idaho. He's one of the hosts, one of the three hosts, co-host of Cross Politic. You should check out the podcast. Dave, married, father of seven. Uh, Dave, uh, we'll start here. And I think, you know, I might ask you an obvious question, but God is really the only solution. And Glenn Youngkin, his message connected and Winsome Sears, her message connected because they wore their faith and people were then able to hear them and their message more clearly in a time where I think big tech and corporate media are always trying to demonize the message of conservatives. It can't be demonized when you let Jesus help deliver the message. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> well, am I going to say no to that? I almost want to give you an offering for it, uh, to be honest with you. Let me first say, I feel like I'm on uh, Coming to America and Eddie Murphy. I am so very happy to be here uh, <laughs> with you, bro. <laughs> But, you know, here's something that I think we need to remember constantly in this in this situation. I'm going to say this is probably going to be the anchor of everything that I say in this conversation. Covenant faithfulness over time breeds success. Covenant disobedience over time breeds failure and curses. And one of the things that we need to remember, especially as people who fear the Dave, Lord. Dave, let me stop is, you for one second. Let me stop you yeah, for yeah. one second. And it's not really a stop. I just... The audience that we're speaking to and trying to reach, some of them are not the strongest believers. Some of them uh, would go ahead and define covenant for them so that they fully understand your point. Yeah, a covenant is when two people come in together with an agreement. And a great example of that is when in the Bible, Abraham made covenant with God. He made an agreement with God. God made an agreement with covenant. 
uh, an agreement with Abraham that he would be Abraham's God and Abraham would be God's people. And so God put his name, Abraham, um, meaning that God was over him. He was, Abraham belonged to him and, and God belonged to Abraham. So they were in agreement. The same thing we see in a marriage relationship. I will be your husband. You will be my wife. We have a covenant agreement that is not going to be broken. And if it does break, then death comes to us. That's the kind of agreement that we have in marriage. And so covenant, um, also we see that with the rainbow, right? With the rainbow in the sky, what that means is that God is saying that he will not do the world like he did with Noah. There's an agreement between us, between God and man, that he will never flood the world in the same way that he did with Noah. So a covenant is an agreement between God and his people, and it has um, a working out, a relationship to it. If you obey God's word, since you're in covenant with him, then he blesses you. And if you disobey God's word, you step out of covenant with him, then you walk right into the curses that come with disobedience. Now continue with the rest of your point. Awesome explanation. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so the other, so what I was trying to say is that when you're in covenant with God, um, it, it doesn't really matter what other people do, right? It, it doesn't matter what the left and what pagans do. Pagans are always going to pagan. That's what they do. Pagans, pagan. But people who are in covenant with God, people who are Christians, when they are faithful, their faithfulness, God rewards that. And it doesn't. And no one, not even the world, can come in and assault that reward because God is the one leading it. It's his world and he gets to control how it operates and runs. And what's happening right now is I think there's an awakening happening in Virginia and it's it's not completely realized but what's interesting is that I think we're going to see a lot more of that type of awakening as the bright people, the people of God, begin to become faithful and in remembering their covenant with God. Deuteronomy 28 talks about this. And, and it's funny. I, I know a lot of people don't understand this, but the, the, the way the world works is that um, it's God's world. So everything works a particular type of way. It has an operation to it. And in God's world, in Deuteronomy 28, he says, You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed when you go in and you'll be blessed when you come out. And that's and so but there's also the reverse side of that. If, if you don't honor God, you won't be blessed in the city. You won't be blessed in the field. You won't be blessed when you go out, when you come in. Our politics and the things that we see operating in our culture are a direct result of the cult itself. Of the, so the church is the cult. The church is where worship happens. And if you want to see what's happening, in, if, if the world itself is a healthy world, if the culture is a healthy culture, you have to go back and see what is the cult doing. And for far too long, the cult, the church, hasn't been doing worship well. And so we see working out through the culture is the result of what's happening back here in the cult. And so what we are seeing now, I'm hoping, is an awakening to saying, oh, man, if we get ourselves right, if we get ourselves in check, then we will start getting the kind of leaders that represent us because we have the kind of leaders that rightly represent us. We're not getting the leaders that we don't deserve. God has given us the exact leaders we deserve because of our faithfulness to him. And so I am happy to see what's happening in Virginia, but it's only the beginning and we need to do a lot more. And it starts with us first, fearing God, honoring God and letting God through our faithfulness to him, bring us blessings in our leaders. And so that leads me back to my natural point that I know irks some, 
But I think that Donald Trump's time as a political leader has expired because he can't wear his faith as authentically as Glenn Youngkin, Winsome Sears, or the leadership we need at this time. I, and again, people will hear that as a harsh criticism. I'm trying to tell you, it's one of the same problems I have. In I, I feel like I have a great message, but I clutter it up too often with my weaknesses and flaws and the fact that I like to brawl and I like to be in people's face and I like to troll people and, and, and ridicule and, and embarrass them. And so a lot of times that clutters up the truths that I'm trying to espouse. And so I see Trump's time having passed. I think he served a good purpose. I think he's, shake, he's shaking people up. He's awakened their mind to the reality of how corrupt politics is. Uh, but I also think that, again, his time has passed and it's time for other people like Glenn Youngkin to come in right behind Trump and, and authentically wear their faith and belief and, and, and let everybody know where they stand and who they stand with. I think Trump's time has passed. Yeah, you know, first, there's two things here I want to address. First, I want to address kind of how you're viewing yourself in this. Um, first, man, uh, I don't think right now the kind of people we need are brawlers. The, the very thing that you're doing, the very way that you're engaging, I think we need that right now. Um, God has... And, now, while I know the cursing and all that stuff, I believe that God is, I'm a Christian, man. You get saved and then God sanctifies you and purifies you as you continue to go throughout it. And I think what you, what we're seeing is God sanctifying you in real time and people just got to get over it. That's, we're going to have to deal with it. So that's one thing. So I don't put you in the same category that I put Trump in. I, I, I think God has always had prophets and prophets have always been a little strange and a little weird and they're not always perfect, especially in the time of judges, right? So... I think we can, I think that's, I want to separate those two, but I think Trump to me has, is more of a judgment. Now, before everybody throws stones at me, let me finish. I, I think he's more of a judgment, but a good judgment. If, if you're tied up in a car, like I think, I think of myself like this. I think there's two cars going off the cliff. One car is going a thousand miles an hour. That, that would be the democratic car. The other car is going five, 600. It's kind of the Republican car. I find myself usually tied up as a passenger in the back of the Republican car. <laughs> and so to me, Trump is a person who's hijacking the car and he might be driving it and turning it a little slower and trying not to go off the cliff, but I'm still tied up in the back of it. And so while he is a judgment, he's a good judgment. It's a judgment that slows down a much faster judgment and pulls the car in a different detour so that we can correct it. So it's kind of like I look at, at Trump more like someone who put his finger in the hole to plug the boat from from uh, taking in too much water and all of us drowning. But that is not the way that we survive this long term. We have to go back to the original things that got us here, which I think what you're trying to say with Yunkin and Sears. I also want to say um, I see them as a plug in the hole, particularly Sears. I find her completely fascinating you know, I started off by saying that covenant faithfulness over time breeds success. Covenant disobedience over time brings failure. And Sears, to me, is a great example of that. Jason, you talk about this all the time on the show about fatherhood and the importance of fatherhood. Her victory speech that night, you know what she highlighted was her father and what he did. Took their family from Jamaica 
brought them all the way over here to America in the 60s during some of the worst times for America. And she asked him, Dad, why do you do it? He said, because that's where the jobs were. Her father was looking at a way to be faithful, to take care of the things that he was responsible for in his family, his daughter, taking care of them, feeding them. And all he had was $1.75. But because of his faithfulness, whatever was going on in the world in the 60s didn't matter. He was able to raise his daughter in such a way that before she even became an American citizen, she wanted to join the military and ended up doing it. And so his faithfulness breeded such a success that right now she's a lieutenant governor. Now, so I'm very excited about that, and I, and I appreciate that. But I want to say that that is a, a, a way to plug the hole. You know, um, I, I have a strong conviction that the reason that we have so many women leaders right now is because we have so inept and unfaithful men. The, the leadership that should be there, where is the man that should be taking that position? And part of the judgment that we have is that we do have women leading us. And, and again, so I, I look at Winsome, very excited, very happy, very proud of what God is doing with her. But it is a, a way to plug the hole for where we really need to go. That doesn't need to be the norm. When we don't have faithful and capable men there to take those positions, it says something about the culture, the cult that we're in. Mm. We're, yeah, I certainly agree with that. We're in a culture of weak, emasculated men, yeah. and weak, emasculated men get rewarded uh, and, and get positions, high-profile positions. And I, I legitimately, and that's why I was like, you know, I, yesterday I beat up Rachel Maddow, Joy Reid, and Nicole Wallace, and, and I'm like, you know what? Let me go after their daddies. And, and their daddies mm. really are all of, a, and all of us that work in the media, corporate media, even in non-traditional media, we're slaves to Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and their creations of Facebook and Twitter and how those things operate. The, that's who's rewarding weak men, emasculated men. That's who's p powering, amplifying the voices of the alphabet mafia. I, I, I think our addiction and lack of understanding of the dangers of social media is really damaging the culture and is really why the, the other side has such an advantage is because they're working in conjunction with these social media outlets. And I, I just wonder, as someone, again, you and I, we need YouTube, we need Google, we need Twitter to get our content out. It is, should we be disavowing these things or just trying to better utilizing these things? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is better utilizing it. You know, um, what, we have to understand that the, you said it perfectly, that we're slaves to this stuff. And the reason that we're slaves to this stuff is because we've created the slavery. There's a book by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It is the, one of the most important books to read right now. A lot of people in America are afraid of the Orwellian nightmare, the totalitarian top-down um, control from the federal government, from uh, the powers that be. But Neil Postman says that actually isn't the way that this will come in. Um, it'll come in more through the Huxleyan uh, Brave New World setup where – we are the ones who have these passions and lusts and desires, 
And we will welcome the chains so long as we can get our hit and our pleasures given to us. And so we'll say, hey, take lock us up. We'll, en- we'll enjoy slavery so long as we can have the drug. We've become the druggies. We've become the crackheads so that we have to have this stuff. And instead of being someone who is controlled and measured in our social media and, or, and in, our, in our own lust and desires, these guys have capitalized on that to the point that we feel like that we have to have it. And so we're fighting over what they can and can't do. And really the thing that we need to be fighting over is, are my lust and my desires and my, um, my passions in check so that I'm the one, right? They have, again, covenant faithfulness over time breeds success. Covenant disobedience over time brings failure. If we are not the ones who are in need of such an endorphin drug to make us happy, then they have no power over us. But the reason that they have power over us is because we've given it to them. We've been the ones who have needed our lust, need to go on Instagram and like that extra little picture because she got that. Come on now. They got you. If if someone if I owe someone thirty dollars, they got me. But if I owe someone seven million dollars, I got them. And right now, Facebook and Twitter has us because we've we've given them so much of our lust and desires and we're welcoming the chains because we have to have our hit. Dave, I want to end on this note because I think a lot of people hear me because it's been a constant theme of this show about like, hey, the only solution really is God. And some people, I think, are starting to grasp what I'm saying, but they still live in fear of wearing any sort of faith publicly because they know that the left will use that to judge them. And I keep trying to tell people that, look, man, the reason why I wear my faith publicly isn't because I think I'm better than you or I'm better than anyone or think I'm more righteous than anyone. I actually wear it publicly as a reminder to myself and everyone else like, whew, Jason's a sinner and he's (laughs) using his Christianity to combat what's in his heart and nature. And and so I'm a flawed person. And the reason why I tell you I'm a Christian, the reason why I remind myself every day I'm a Christian is like, whoo, it's the only way I can combat these flaws. Because if I, if 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 it wasn't for that relationship, that acknowledgement, I would just do what everybody else on the left is doing. It's like any desire I have is a good one and must be. Uh, confirmed, affirmed, applauded, supported. We need to change laws. You know what? Jason Whitlock loves to eat uh, McDonald's seven times a week. So we're going to widen all the seats on airplanes so he's more comfortable. Uh, And that's what the whole society, you know, we need to affirm his gluttony rather than me saying, you know what? I'm a Christian. I've got a gluttonous nature. Let me unlock the Holy Spirit and my relationship with God to fight my gluttony. Mm. So I don't need an extra wide seat on an airplane. And so I can be a better representation. Anyway, I just am trying to, what I'm trying to say to people, what I'm trying to represent is you don't have to be perfect to embrace your faith. Embrace your faith and let your faith start working on your sins and you'll inch a little closer towards Perfect. You're never going to be perfect, but you'll make some strides that direction if you embrace and wear your faith publicly. 
Well, if you were going to be perfect, Jesus wouldn't have to die. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's one of the things. And that's what that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died because he has the righteousness. He has the perfection. He has the relationship with the father. And the father sees you as being in Jesus. And so he's the one who covers you. He's the one who sanctifies you. And so the process is, you know, the Christians that don't decide to wear their faith on their shoulders um, or the, the Christians out there, I want to talk to them that are a little afraid. They need to know the story a little better because they're afraid that, hey, the left is going to come after me. I'm going to get canceled if I'm too Christian. Um, I can't wear my Christianity and my politics, all this stuff. I'm just going to take the worldview of it. You don't understand the story of death and resurrection when you act like that. Jesus came into the world, was bold, told the words of the Father, and they killed him. What do you think they're going to do to you? But if you know the story, that's not the end of it. The story is he raised from the dead. And when you believe death and resurrection, you can walk boldly. And so our problem is that, Jason, we don't understand the story that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and wraps us in his righteousness so that we are made perfect because of what he did and not what we do. And what happens over time and what we're seeing happen even with you is God begins to sanctify you and round you off and make you more into like his son. And so things start falling off of you. You talked about losing weight. It's like Christianity weight loss. When you believe in Jesus, he starts cutting that fat off. He starts sanctifying you. It doesn't happen all at once, and it's not going to. You are sanct- Sanctification is the process of God over time making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And when we understand the story of the gospel, then we can walk fearless because we know that Jesus died and raised from the dead. So if all they can do is kill us, they can't win because we know the God that raises people from the dead, brother. Thank you, Dave. Uh, that was a great Look- second performance as well. Uh, fearless soldier Dave Shannon. Uh, let me tell you about a fearless sponsor next week. Slow is just right if you're on vacation, a sloth, or describing QuickBooks. More like slow books. Now is the time to make the switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books fast, no matter how big your business grows. Without NetSuite, You'll be stuck trying to make sense of your books while your competitors sprint ahead. 93% of the surveys, surveyed businesses, increase their visibility and control by switching to NetSuite. So if you want to take your business to the next level and do it fast, then you need to get NetSuite right now. Special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com slash fearless right now. That's a special financing at netsuite.com slash fearless. That's netsuite.com slash fearless. Support the sponsors who support you, me, and our point of view. All right, stay tuned. I'm gonna start a second fire. We're gonna get into this ESPN story about Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver. I'm gonna do that with Rashad McCants. Uh, Sarver's being accused of being a racist and ESPN's got a a story out that's basically trying to run him out of the job. I'm gonna tell you what I think about it. Next! All right, welcome back. 
we're going to roll out to uh, Las Vegas and connect with the former NBA first-round pick, former Minnesota Timberwolf, uh, Rashad McCants, a national champion with the University of North Carolina. Uh, before we go right out to Rashad, I, I just want to give a little context for one of the topics we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss two with Rashad. One, Scottie Pippen's uh, book, Take Some Vicious Shots at Michael Jordan. We'll get into that. But we're going to start by talking about a story that ESPN released uh, Thursday morning on Robert Sarver, the 17-year owner of the Phoenix Suns. And it's a story, the headline of the story is allegations of racism and misogyny within the Phoenix Suns inside Robert Sarver's 17-year tenure as owner. It's written by Baxter Holmes at ESPN. ESPN's covering it like it's a major story. Uh, I'm gonna read the beginning of the story. Uh, just to tell you where the story started. And, and uh, anyway, here's the beginning of the story. On the evening of October 30th, 2016, at Talking Stick Resort Arena in downtown Phoenix, Earl Watson, in just his third game as the Suns head coach, faced a tall task, beat the powerhouse Golden State Warriors. The young Phoenix Suns team had been toiling at the bottom of the NBA standing for years, missing the playoffs for six straight seasons while churning through head coaches. Watson was the fourth in as many years. Still, the Suns were playing the eventual NBA champions close, even leading by 13 in the first half, but it didn't last. The Warriors took control in the fourth quarter and cemented a 106-100 win, dropping the Suns to 0-3. Uh, after the loss, Suns majority owner Robert Sarver entered the coach's locker room, Watson told ESPN. You know, why does Draymond Green get to run up the court and say the N-word, uh, Sarver, who is white, allegedly said, replacing the N repeating the N-word several times in a row. Uh, Watson says, you can't say that. Watson, who is black and Hispanic, told Sarver. Sarver replied, why? Draymond Green says the N-word. Uh, you can't effing say that, Watson said again. The anecdote offers a glimpse into conduct that sources told ESPN Sarver has often exhibited since buying the Suns in 2004. Interviews with more than 70 former and current Suns employees throughout Sarver's 17-year tenure describe a toxic and sometimes hostile workplace under Sarver. Some told ESPN that he has used racially insensitive language repeatedly in the office. Employees recounted conduct they felt was inappropriate and misogynistic, including Sarver once passing around a picture of his wife in a bikini to employees and speaking about times his wife performed oral sex on him. Some said the longtime owner fostered an environment in which employees felt they were his property, even once asking one woman whether he owned her to determine whether she worked for the Suns. Uh, so that's where the story starts. The headline is allegations of racism and misogyny within the Phoenix Suns organization. And the media has reduced racism to the overhearing of words stated by certain people as, oh my God, this is unbelievable racism and uh, we must do something about it. 
And I know I sound crazy offering the point of view that, hey man, whoever says the N-word, black or white, it's not good, period. I don't think it gets worse based on the color of skin. I'm just sorry. I don't believe that. I actually think we as black people are far more insane and racist for embracing that word and using it amongst ourselves. And I think that sometimes white people look at us as insane for embracing and using that word constantly. And sometimes they ask questions about it. And so I don't have a strong defense of Robert Sarver. I read, this story goes on and on and on, and there's examples of other story that, I'm, I'm gonna read another excerpt, and I think we can put this one on screen, of, of, because my criticism is of the story. It's not a defense of Robert Sarver. It's a criticism of what we've reduced racism to and, and like we need to have a serious discussion about what really is racism, what really should be costing people their jobs and positions. Because as I read this ESPN story, this is a coup. Someone else wants to own the Phoenix Suns. And they've, and again, I know Earl Watson, uh, don't know him real well, but I've known him since he was a little kid in Kansas City as a high school basketball player. He played at UCLA. He played in the NBA for a while. He became an NBA head coach. We worked together briefly at Fox Sports. I, I know Earl Watson a little bit. I don't know him extremely well. I don't, Earl Watson is the foundation and at the root of a lot of this story and he was fired by Robert Sarver. But I, I wanna give you another example of a, of a story they told that is allegedly supposed to uh, damn Robert Sarver, and it's early on in the story. And again, this stuff is high up. And again, when you're a journalist, the stuff you put high up is the stuff you think is really important and really damning. Uh, so here's the, an excerpt. A recruiting pitch was set for the start of free agency. Among Sarver and others, attendees included Nash's agent, Bill Duffy, and 2003 Rookie of the Year, Amari Stoudemire, both of whom are black. Three people in the room told ESPN that during the meeting, Sarver made a comment they felt was racially insensitive. They could not recall specifics but said they felt he too loosely used the term black guy during the conversation. This is a major media outlet going after the reputation of a 17 year in good standing member of the NBA. A major media outlet. And this is high up in the story as damning proof that Robert Sarver is an out of control bigot. And the story, 
a re- I want to reread this. A recruiting pitch was set for the start of free agency among Sarver and others. Attendees included Nash's agent Bill Duffy, 2003 Rookie of the Year, Amari Stoudemire, both of whom are black. Three people in the room told ESPN during the meeting, Sarver made a comment they felt was racially insensitive. They could not recall specifics, but said they felt he too loosely used the term black guy during the conversation. This is mind blowing to me. We're talking about in the athletic world, and I know this guy's the owner, and what they're basically saying is the owner shouldn't come to any meetings and he shouldn't talk the way that we talk as players or people talk as uh, coaches or agents, but he too loosely used the term black guy. Is there, have I missed something? Has the term black guy become offensive? This is, I'm a, and, and Rashad, I'm sorry for, oh, but I just want to set up a little bit more context. Just, there were so many passages in this deal that just blew my mind. I'm going to read one more. During the 2009-10 season, Sarver entered the Suns' training room and saw reserve forward Taylor Griffin, older brother of NBA forward Blake Griffin, lifting weights. He noticed that the six-foot-seven, nearly 240-pound Griffin, who had been a serious weightlifter dating back to high school, didn't have hair on his legs. Sarver, according to two people who witnessed the interaction, asked Griffin whether he shaved his legs. Griffin said he did. Sarver then asked, do you shave your balls too? One basketball operations staffer said Sarver separately asked the question of others in the organization several years later. Sarver, through his legal team, said, I don't remember using those exact words, but I did make a joking reference to men's grooming habits with Taylor Griffin once in the locker room. I remember that. Taylor laughed at the comment. When reached for comment, Griffin told ESPN, at the time, I took it as a joke. Looking back on it in the context of today, for a leader of a company or the owner of a team to say such a thing is inappropriate. So 10 years ago, he cracked a joke about shaving your balls and you laughed. Now, 10 years later, that's really inappropriate. I mean, oh my God, I'm offended now. And, And the reason why this story is important, it connects to the conversation we were having at the beginning of the show about what social media has done to us. A decade ago, this was a joke. In this new woke society, 10, 11 years later, whoo, the owner of the team, he cracks the same jokes that we crack in the locker room. The owner of the team, he's a special human being. And, and his specialness really is he's white. 
because we know damn well if it was a black man that cracked the joke, whether he owned the team, rented the team, hijacked the team, embezzled from the team, it would still be a joke. This kind of stupid shit, there I go again, gets said in locker rooms. And they're trying to create this emasculated society where, oh my, weren't you offended? Oh my God, he cracked a joke and said you shaved your balls. You gotta be offended. I'll give you one last example and then I'm gonna go to Rashad McCanson, we'll get an expert opinion. <clears throat> this one really blew me away. After a game in 2018-2019, Sarver fumed that rookie center DeAndre Ayton, the 2018 number one pick, had failed to record a block or a foul. Sarver slammed a stat sheet on the table in front of assistant coach Corliss Williamson, who had been working with Ayton. Quote from Williamson, in all my years, that's the first time I've ever seen an owner come in there and act like that with the coaching staff, Williamson said. ESPN goes on to write, Williamson was a six foot seven, 245 pound former NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons, whose nick NBA nickname was the Big Nasty. Williamson, who grew up in Arkansas, said an older white male owner aggressively confronting him, a black man from the South, carried racial connotations for him. That's exactly where my mind went, Williamson told ESPN. He sought out Sarver in the subsequent days, including visiting his office. Eventually, the two spoke briefly and the tension subsided. Quote, I really wanted to make sure he didn't do something like that to someone else who didn't have a cooler head. That's why I went looking for him. The owner of a team, a guy that spent billions of dollars to own the team, who pays the players millions of dollars, who pays the head coach millions of dollars, pays assistant coaches hundreds of thousands, two millions of dollars, can't slam a stat sheet down in front of an assistant coach he's paying. He can't slam a stat sheet down. The slamming of a stat sheet has racial connotations. Do y'all remember a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about how weak we look as black men, Randy Moss on national TV crying about uh, John Gruden saying that Demora Smith had big lips? This is another example of it. Corliss Williamson has let a white liberal reporter talk him into whining and crying in an article because a white man slammed a stat sheet in front of him three years ago. That had racial connotations. We are that soft or we're pretending to be that soft. 
Rashad McCann's. And I don't know Rashad's take on this story. I sent it to him an hour and a half ago or two hours ago. I don't know your take, but I'm not defending Robert Sarver because I don't know him. There's some stuff in here that is somewhat legitimate, but it seemed very weak, man. It just seemed like, your take on the article, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Welcome to the new beta male movement. This is the introduction to all the soft beta males in America. I never thought I'd see it from a guy like Earl Watson from L.A., who's supposed to be the tough guy like Matt Barnes, to take all this insensitive language from a white man that you claim has so much power over you that you have to come out five, six years later and talk about how all these things transpired and you didn't even engage in discussing them when they happened. Like we know as men, we'll extinguish a fire if we're insulted, disrespected, or even challenged in a way where we need to address it. I don't see anything in this article about a man standing up for his manhood in a conversation. ESPN is leading this coup in which you called it. This is unbelievable that they would even press this so hard because like you said, there's something behind it. I would call it stealing home. Somebody in a black ownership group has pushed the button to clutch sports in LeBron James, who has access to Earl Watson, Somebody's making a push to own the sons and they need to get the guy out. So they John Gruden him. So we're going to go 10 years back. We're going to go through some emails. We're going to do this. We're going to say a bunch of things we can't show evidence for. Now it's he say, she say. And in this culture, if he say, she say is black girl versus white girl or black girl versus white man, man, a black girl going to win. So Sarver's already lost. Just the fact that it's out there, you lost. Nobody's going to want to come to the to the team. Nobody's going to want to put until you're gone. So I would call it hunting season for white owners and coaches and executives who even look remotely close to being racist. You better start checking your emails, deleting your emails, voice notes. They coming after you. You are not safe. Rashad, I think you've hammered it, nailed it. This is a coup d'etat. And perhaps it's LeBron and or Clutch Sports who wants to own the Phoenix Suns. Because again, who else is, this who else will, is there, Jason? Who else is there? Well, Who's c- there? Chris Paul look, is there. Chris Paul is a part of the other one. He was a part of who else? Well, who other team was he a part of where the owner got dismantled? The Clippers. Mmm. How ironic. And Chris Paul is the NBA Players Association. He was the president. Come on, man. What are we doing? I, I, I'm going to you. I'll say this because it, this won't. It's not like the team's going to be changed hands. 
immediately. This will be a year or two down the road, though they're going to try to force Sarver out. And then it may be another year to a year and a half before they identify who the owner is. And maybe it will be. I disagree 100 percent because this is I have access to a certain coalition group that once John Gruden got fired, they immediately set up candidates for the job that was all black. So there are coalitions that set up for this particular coup to go after owners and executives with racial insensitive messaging so that we can raise the flag to say, oh, that's racism. Get him out of here. Put us in. This exists. Well, what I'm saying is if LeBron wants to be the owner of the Phoenix Suns, the way that the timing of the way this will play out, I don't think would be for a year, 18 months from now before that could happen. Unless the NBA wants to make this incredible statement, because I believe LeBron's in his last year Mm -hmm. with the Lakers of that four-year contract. And so we had Bill Russell as the first player coach could LeBron be looking to be the first player owner in the NBA? Is that so. potentially the play that's being made here? Uh, but, but to me, this is because you're right. Clutch Sports is in the middle of this story. Uh, Rich Paul is involved in one of these incidents. Maybe it's one I referenced. I can't remember, but there was so much garbage in this story. It was hard for me. Look, do I think Robert Sarver is uh, an idiot that jokes too much, doesn't understand like, well, as the owner, I could get bitten in the rear end uh, by acting like one of the guys. Uh, But I just didn't hear anything he, he cracked some joke to some woman, do I own you, as a way of basically asking her, are you an employee of mine? Do you work for the Suns? I'm the owner. And they're putting it out there like, oh, my God, look how terrible this is. And people, I'm just telling you, I catch a lot of heat for the way that I operate inside of a work environment. It's off-putting to people because I'm very distant. I'm very... I'm, I'm afraid of people. I read stories like this and, and just go, is, really, is it really worth joking, engaging, trying to become friends with people? Is, is it worth it? Because it, it's, to me, a work environment for a man, a heterosexual one, uh, uh, a one that has any sort of masculinity. When, when you step into any work environment, you need to, they need to read you your Miranda rights as you walk in the door. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. <laughs> and so, literally, I say as little as possible because <laughs> I, I, I know that this is the plan. Last thing, and I know you said it, at, at last thing on this, you said it about the beta male era or whatever, but. Corliss Williamson Mm. acting Mm -hmm. like 
the owner slamming a stat sheet had racial connotations. To me, that, that's just like, this dude played basketball for Nolan Richardson. Woo. Nolan Richardson never screamed, never slammed a stat sheet. Uh, every, is everybody in the NBA now who's black, are they demanding that no one question them in any sort of aggressive way. You must ask permission and drop to a knee to have any engagement with me or I can twist and turn it on you. It's, I can't wait for these guys to be held to the standard that they're holding other people to. Because I'll just say this, if LeBron and them are involved with this coup and LeBron gets ownership of the, his day is coming because he's just like any other man out here who's had a bunch of money and a bunch of opportunities. man's as faithful as his options. And so his day is coming and he's going to get held to these same standards as everybody else. And these guys are acting like they sitting around and having conversations with them and all their friends where no one ever says an inappropriate word. No one, th- th- this, there's the Corliss Williamson angle and then there is the NBA has saturated itself in hip hop music, mis- misogynistic music, music that relies is built on the n-word and they're wondering why the players are running up and down the court calling each other the n-word constantly and they're wondering why white people eventually go well you know what they're so comfortable with it why shouldn't i they seem to love this word i'm telling you it's like when i go to people's house they know how comfortable I am with food, so they offer it to me. <laughs> We've told everybody how comfortable we are with the N-word, so they yep. offer it to us. Yep, yep, yep. That's unfortunate, Wit, and you know, you unpack so much there. I'ma just touch on a little bit of Sarver. He is a player's owner. Let me explain. He's comfortable being himself and being in the engagement of the players and how we talk amongst each other. So when you have an owner come down, which is rare, and actually speak and make jokes and can make you laugh, and we don't take that as insane. You don't hear any of the players coming out saying these things happened because the owner obviously has the favoritism of the players because he's so likable. So if all of these allegations is coming from staffers and coaches who are grown men, it's the weirdest thing in the world that Corliss Williamson would come out and say something like that. When you are the big nasty, you are the big nasty. We looked at you like Anthony Mason. We looked at you like Charles Oakley. Like you were the guy that don't take no shit off nobody. Now, I know for a fact, if Charles Oakley watching this, Charles Oakley would have smacked Whoever it was who disrespected him. Charles Oakley, to me, I see Charles Oakley. I consider him one of the man's men. So I look at Corliss and him doing this and saying this to an ESPN writer. It all seems calculated. 
it all seems like, why is ESPN covering this story? Why are they asking all the people these questions? And why is the answer seem so muddled and so packaged? Like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then you look at the dynamic of the players in the NBA today that allow all this stuff to come on and happen. James Jones sitting there saying that none of this stuff even sounds remotely true. He's the GM. He got the job from Sarver. Sarver hired James Jones. So this notion of it of it all being one-sided, it's like black people never use the word hunky, cracker, redneck. You never said anything racially towards white people. And it was okay because you're saying it around us. And we all say the same thing. Yeah, hunky, cracker. Man, but that ain't racist to us. But if you said it to them, it would be racist to them. So why is it that we can't just exchange words and leave it be, balance it out, or just shut the shut up? What's the point being soft and, and acting like someone calling you a name is supposed to be the end all be all? Like now you first can't all, talk he to didn't, First of all, he didn't call anybody a name. He, didn't he just repeated. Right. He just repeated what Draymond Green was saying, or they said he would he would retell stories that black players had told him and he would use the same language that the black players use. And so and, and it's, oh, my God, this. And so it's just like when it when that word, even if it's not said in a derisive way, when it falls out of a white person's mouth, we just fall to pieces and it's such an example of, and we all know it's bogus. That's not how we feel when we hear it from them, unless it's used as in a derisive way, you'd no good, you know, aggressive. Mm-hmm. But, but, when, yep. but when they just repeat it, and it, I've seen this happen, what, what they're doing to Sarver, and that's why I call it a coup. Papa John's from Papa John's Pizza, he's a Ball State graduate, he's a friend of mine. He, in a private meeting with his marketing people, said, you know what, uh, Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken used the N-word all the time. That's what he said. And they said just him repeating that story was racist, and they used it to run him up out of Papa John's Pizza. And I'm t- that's what's going on here. ESPN is being used to help orchestrate a coup d'etat. I don't know if it's LeBron and Clutch Sports that wants to buy. Somebody wants to buy the Phoenix Suns. They're running Robert Sarver out of that job. I'm not going to waste any breath trying to say that, you know, we should save or feel sorry for Robert Sarver. He's a billionaire. He's owned the team for 17 years. It's, 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 it's the game that's being played, but it is comical to me. The, the man's got a black general manager, James Jones. Monty Williams was coach of the year last year. The head coach, black Christian, uh, you know, wears it on his sleeve. And somehow, Robert Sarver with a black general manager and a black head coach, he's the problem. You got to understand something, though. With This is really bad for Phoenix, just the, the actual city. The fact that this will happen now after they've come so far, like they've built this team from a young, talented team of a mixed, diverse culture. And they've built them up to they went to the finals. 
Chris Paul made it to the finals for the first time. We were all so happy. Look, the Phoenix Suns are now a contender. There is somebody to look for in the West. All of a sudden, this happened because that means the Phoenix Suns' value is up. We got the attention of the buyers. We got to figure out how to make it available. How do we do that? And that's with any team. You really think about it. These ownership groups are everywhere, and they're trying to figure out which team is available to buy, who has you know problems with ownership, who's having problems with uh, integrating with the players and interacting with the players, and if it's racially most motivated. So all of this I, stuff that's happening is just beyond. I'm just sitting back thinking about some of these other passages or other examples. The, the Robert, they say Robert Sarver told me like, hey man, he, he either said, we need an N-word to coach this team because I think these N-words uh, will relate to him, or he said, we need a black coach to uh, coach these teams because the black players will relate to speak to them. Man, this is something I've heard black athletes say over and over and over again. I heard people, one of the biggest reasons why uh, uh, people wanted the Lakers to hire Tyron Lue when they hired Frank Vogel. Oh, Tyron Lue. He's, and I would hear athletes, not on the record, but in private. Man, you need an N-word to coach them. He can bring out the N-word in LeBron and blah, blah, blah. And we just need that energy, blah, 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 blah. It's constantly said by us and we wonder why this, this white owner will buy into it. He hears it from the players. He hears it from the agent. He hears it from every, the coach, assistant coach. The, the coaches have been, they just hired like eight or nine black coaches and every, every one of them sales pitch was damn near, I can relate to these black players. I can get these black players to do this and do that because I'm black. That's their sales pitch. And they wondering why the owner is repeating it back. How often do you hear the word, the N-word, in, in hip-hop music? Now, if we're talking about the NBA integrating with hip-hop music, what's the soundtrack of the NBA? Now, what are every single white fan, executive, and owner listening to in the intro of any game, any commercial break, is hip-hop music. So if the word is being used in the song, that's the context of the song. And you're going to repeat it because you're singing the song. You go back to white chicks and it's like the white people know not to use the word. They know not to use the word. But when the black people give you that, I'm going to step over here to the side. What? We the realest. 50 Cent G. You. Like they do it because we do it. There's no other reason for Dude. them to do it. Kanye West has been did concerts for years. I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke. Yeah. And he would throw the mic out. He he would never say the last part. And this he's in arenas. Uh, and I've been to a Kanye concert. I went when him and Jay Z was doing Watch the Throne or whatever. I went to. Con it's. 80, 90% of the crowd is white. Yep. And the rappers are begging them to sing the song and sing the exact lyrics. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes.
You can you can see all the videos on you go to YouTube. You can find the videos. And so Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne is a perfect example. Lil Wayne told them, I don't know what racism is because there are more white people at my concerts than black people. We have and 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 if so, if white people would start saying, you know what, I only mess with hip hop. I listen to country music. I listen to rock. Oh, well, you racist. Yeah. Then when they jump over into this thing that you, well, it's black culture. It's this that. Now we want to play this little game. Well, the N word is the most popular word in hip hop music. Trust me, it by far. And, and we got this little game, but y'all don't say it. We won't yep. embrace the music. If you don't embrace the music, you're racist. But just don't say this one word. It's a game. Every, everybody knows it's a game. No one's offended. They're just using it to extract revenge or to gain power or to cancel people that they're jealous of. It's, I know we're supposed to get to Scottie Pippen, but I'm going I'm to see if we can do it tomorrow, if you're available tomorrow. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so let's get to Scottie Pippen tomorrow. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. I didn't know where you were going to come down on it. But uh, hey, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that likes. Hit that notification. Hit that subscribe. Call your friends. Tell them about this show. Where, where else? Did you see this transition we just made from starting out talking about Glenn Youngkin and what his win in Virginia represents, what's the lesson to be told from, to the most honest discussion you're going to get about the Phoenix Suns situation and Robert Sarver? There's, there's no other place to get that but right here at Fearless. We're trying to create a space for the most honest conversation about what's going on in American culture. We're pulling it off right here. Hit that like. I want 6,000 likes. I need 3,000 comments. Jump in that comments. Leave me a comment. I'm going to try to respond to them. You ask a good question, you make a good comment. I'm going to hop in there with you and say something. All right, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in our ESPN expert, uh, the most clever man in the sports media space, the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim. Steve, I want to start with the ESPN story on Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns. Steve, I just talked about it with Bashad McCants for the last 30 minutes. I think the story is really flimsy. And I, I just don't think there's a lot of substance to it. I think, I think this is a coup being pulled off or orchestrated by ESPN in conjunction with Earl Watson and uh, clutch sports or whatever, but I just Robert Sarver is sounds like a bit of an idiot and and too friendly with the players and whatnot. But you know, I just don't know if I see a stark raving racist bigot here that needs to be run out of the team. But he's gonna be. Jason, this is a very well put together, well researched, meticulous nothing burger. 
I mean, honestly, did Robert Sarver create the perfect working environment? No. Is he now portrayed or framed as the NBA version of Daniel Snyder? It looks like it. Uh, my general reactions are it, it, the one thing that really stood out to me is I, I don't really follow the NBA anymore. But the fact he's gone through seven or eight coaches in eight or nine seasons, I mean, even George Steinbrenner saying, yo, that's, that's a lot of turnover there, man, uh, at your head coach spot. I don't know what to really say other than the fact that, yeah, you could say there were some quote unquote people of color and females that were uncomfortable that had negative experiences. You know what? That's the real world. It happens. Not every working environment is perfect. But at the same time, he's also put these people in place. For So for every Earl Watson that you have, you have a James Jones who, again, maybe he wants to protect his paycheck. He seems to be a very satisfied customer. Current head coach, Monty Williams, is a black man. I also looked up Earl Watson's winning percentage, and I know it's a little unfair because this is a player's league more than any other. His playing winning percentage was 280. Jason, that's a pretty good batting average. That's a terrible percentage for a head coach in any sport. (laughs) Steve, you make a great point about work environments and work situations. This expectation that there's never going to be a moment of discomfort or someone saying something that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, and, And look, in an NBA environment, you're gonna hear the N word. You're just, you're going to hear. The players are addicted to the word. The league is addicted to music that's addicted to the, wor- to the word. Uh, you're gonna hear conversations about strip clubs or whatever. And so he cracked some joke about, hey, Uh, you know, we should hire some strippers and have them get pregnant and that'll keep players wanting to be close to here, blah, blah. It's a joke that has been made by so many reporters and sports writers and athletes and coaches. It was a constant, the, the Chiefs had training camp in River Falls, Wisconsin. And every year, all we would talk about was, oh, 20 years from now, uh, this, this area is gonna be loaded with Division I recruits because you know the Chief Derek Thomas will have blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I don't think it was well constructed though, Steve. I do think it was a nothing burger, but anytime you're, you're putting anecdotes high up in the story that say people felt it was racially insensitive although they could not recall the specifics. He was just too loose with the term black guy. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the standard we're holding white men to. It's like, man, you kind of loose with that term black guy. Mm, that feels racially insensitive to me. Uh, let me go to HR. <laughs> Jay, as I'm reading the story, halfway through, it, it, it seemed longer than a miniseries. I mean, honestly, and I'm just—it was just like this one big accusation after another. Uh, I felt like I was watching Shogun or something. I'm like, okay, when does this thing end? I get it. You don't like Sarver. He's not perfectly politically correct. He engaged in locker room humor, but I'm saying, what's the end game here? Are they trying to rip the team away from him? Look, at the end of the day, no working environment is perfect, and sometimes you're not going to like your boss. Sometimes you're not going to like uh, who you hire. 
So the employer-employee relationship is always an interesting one. And by the way, the story with Cordis Williamson, look, if you're an owner and your big man who's the number one pick in the draft does not grab a single rebound, block shot, or a foul, guess what? You're allowed to complain. Now, maybe I wouldn't have gotten in anyone's faces, but guess what? That is actually a legitimate basketball criticism. I, As the owner of a team in, in team sports, I just, he can't slam a stat sheet down and <laughs> express his anger? Are you really that thin-skinned? The, 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 I, <laughs> well, look, it had Jay, these racial connotations. <laughs> Jay, remember George Steinbrenner? He would literally have a phone to whatever manager he had for that month, and he would make quote-unquote suggestions. And there's always been stories about Al Davis that he had a real role in how the coaches coach the players. This is nothing new. So I'm just kind of reading this thing. Okay, Sarver's been labeled a bad guy. He's the Dave Portnoy of the NBA. Okay. Now what? Now what? You know? <laughs> well, now comes the new ownership. And in my view, I, I honestly think, Steve, unless you can talk me out of me and Corliss, uh, me and Rashad talked about it. I think LeBron James is going to be the first owner player of the Phoenix Suns. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, look, it's obvious that there is an agenda. It's not just that, because I think if you did an, uh, an examination of every professional sports organization, if you wanted to nitpick and make assertions about the attitude and the mission statement and the treatment of employees, specifically minorities and females, my my guess is that you could probably do a story on many of these teams throughout every single league. Folks, deal with it. To me, this is not even a story. It's not something I particularly care about. All right, a story you do care about, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, and the disparate treatment he received yeah. as opposed to Henry Suggs or Henry Ruggs, my bad. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been busted for lying about being vaccinated, and he's now COVID positive, and he's not going to play against the Chiefs. Uh, Henry Ruggs just drove 156 miles per hour while drunk and killed a woman. And uh, you noticed that uh, Sarah Spain of ESPN had quite different reactions to these two crimes, quote-unquote. Yeah, Jay, yesterday she appeared on my timeline a few times. I don't follow her. And I noticed that she was very outraged, which is her right. She was very angry. And she was going to demand justice. She's going to get to the bottom of this, right? And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I was just curious as to say, I wonder how she feels about Henry Ruggs, who actually did kill somebody. And there was one tweet, and it basically said, oh, no, that's awful. Like, as if somehow he just pulled a hamstring or dropped the first down pass. Um, I want to go all the way back here, though, Jay. Aaron Rodgers is not a hero. I am not sticking up for him. I'm not defending him. He played a really bad game of semantics, if not flat out lying. What I would have wanted him to do was to be more like Kyrie Irving and just be transparent about his intentions and his actions, whether you agreed with it or not. So if one of these beat reporters for the Packers would have said, oh, Aaron, are you vaccinated? I wish Aaron would have said, None ya. None of your damn business. You know what I got vaxxed? D's. Nuts. But anyway, he didn't. So, okay. It, it is what it is. He wanted to be like, he thought he was smarter than everybody, and now it's blown up in his face. I want to get that out of the way. Aaron is not a hero. But you know what? 
It's his choice. And, and I still interview a lot of boxers and people in the sport of boxing for my other gigs. Jay, I don't know about you, but it has never even entered my mind or I've had the thought of asking someone's vaccination status. You know why? It's not my business. And I, but going back to the original point, what I don't understand is, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to get disciplined. And people are saying, well, Ruggs, he's going to go to jail. He, and he's, and, right, because he killed somebody. And Aaron Rodgers will most likely face discipline from the league. So, so my point is, why are we treating this so much differently in a sense that one guy absolutely made a mistake and he's going to pay for it at that level? Ruggs actually killed a guy. And I also want to make this point. Um, before, and I don't want to seem holier than that with, with Henry Ruggs. I think if we're all very honest about it, Jay, we've all, or many of us have probably driven when we should not have. Let's be honest about it. And when you do that, it's a form of Russian roulette. But when you're going 156 miles per hour and you're twice the legal limit in terms of blood alcohol, that's like playing Russian roulette with four bullets in the chamber. And the big story is not that Henry Ruggs is going to lose his career or even his jail sentence. It's that someone lost their lives. And I just feel as though it's interesting that some people are treating Rogers with more outrage rather than the fact that Ruggs killed somebody. That's the point. You can have any judgment you want. You can have any opinion you want on Aaron Rodgers. I just felt it was interesting. A lot of these NFL reporters now, they're not saying much about Ruggs, who's a pretty good player. It was making a difference for the Raiders. But right now, it's very easy to pile on Rodgers because he doesn't play their game. Yeah, and let's be honest here. Sarah Spain is woke and white, and she doesn't want to risk criticizing a black athlete for anything, even going 156 miles per hour while drunk and killing a woman. That, that speaks to the culture and the climate we've created. There's so much fear of being on the wrong side of the woke social media algorithm that someone driving 156 miles per hour while drunk, killing a woman and dog, whew, better not say anything. It's, yeah. To me, it's almost like Michael Vick, if, if he got convicted of dog torture now, would face no criticism. You know, everybody would be too scared. And so, so everybody would just, just shut their mouth. And I, I, by the way, I, I happen to love Michael Vick. Uh, but but I, I just, I think she's scared. And so, and, and she wants to, look how tough I'm being on Aaron Rodgers. Look, I'm criticizing a franchise white quarterback. And uh, I'll say this, I want to transition. I think we got a highlight of Jay Williams calling out Stephen A. Smith uh, today, because Stephen A. Smith is actually on the other side of this. He gets caught very hard on Kyrie Irving, very soft on Aaron Rodgers, and Jay Williams called him out on ESPN Watch. As a young African-American male, 
I just wanted to see what the public sentiment would be today. Because when I heard that kind of vitriol towards Kyrie and watching it and the way he was politicized and the way he was hung out there to dry, I want to see if those same people are going to do the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that I want to see that. That's right. And I'm also a black man. I want to see that. And I'm also a black man. So let's be very, very clear. The issue of blackness ain't a discussion here. The point is, is that in the case of Kyrie Irving, and he's not an orator or anything like that. So again, he may not say things right accordingly. And I get all of that. He's a basketball player a highly intelligent one he's not stupid like a lot of people try to say he was but you know what you're missing is you keep pointing to the vaccine and everybody's looking I at him to the no, people that right, people let me are commercial break. If because you of anti that's this, not if the you issue want to come back to that's this we can let me <laughs> mm, oh, that's not the full clip though no. <laughs> of jay williams taking stephen a smith's actual words and the way he went after Kyrie and basically said hey, uh, there's none of this for Aaron Rodgers. I I sent you that clip, Steve, I think, correct? Right. Well, a couple things there. First of all, Molly Karam, she cuts off more people than an older female driver. Except guys, 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 guys. <laughs> yeah, they, the only difference is the older female drivers have no idea they're actually doing it. Oh, my God. Okay. So here's the issue. Um, this is what I talked about with my column regarding Miss Spain. Same level of energy. Are we going to have double standards, no standards, or separate standards? And although I disagree with Jay a little bit on this, I think he makes a good point that if you're going to be so outraged by Kyrie Irving's stance, why not Aaron Rodgers? And let's be honest about this. Kyrie was much more honest in the way he went about it than Rodgers. I hate to say that because he's one of my favorite football players. I'm going to miss seeing him the next week or two or ever how long he's going to be out. But I think Jay really did put Stephen A. in a position where that take, after what he just said, maybe his last take on first take. He may not be invited back. <laughs> you know, it's, it is a serious question how Stephen A. is going to respond because Stephen A., most of Thursday was trending over Twitter, and so was Jay Williams because Jay Williams put a full clown suit on Stephen A. Smith, and a really uncomfortable one as well. And that's why Stephen A. was sensitive about the racial aspect. Hey, blackness isn't in question here, no, blah, 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 blah. Because what Jay Williams basically is saying without saying is like, here's this white quarterback, and you ain't got none of the heat for him, but Kyrie Irving, you got all the smoke for him. And and I can't wait. I can't wait for Kwame Brown to get a hold of this <laughs> because he's gonna put a full clown suit on on Stephen A. Smith, and it'll be interesting to watch Stephen A. Smith over the next week. He's gonna be on a desperate hunt for white people to criticize so that he right. he can make he can do a make good on this. And Jason, it brings about this question: No matter what side you take, Stephen A. or Jay Williams, is the crime worse than the cover-up or is the cover-up worse than the crime i'm not really sure but i don't think there was a real racial angle to it i just felt like i saw the whole clip stephen a basically said well he told these other guys like durant hard to come with me so that bound him to play no matter what the situation was as it relates to COVID 19 the vaccine mandate all that other stuff um one thing about rogers and the packers they just get off that issue and into football I want to see what Jordan Love has now. Look, I'm a sports fan. I don't get caught up in all this stuff all that much. I want to see what Jordan Love has, and let's see if he can actually play a little bit against your Kansas City Chiefs. I actually think it makes that game a little bit more interesting than it was going into it. 
Makes it a lot more interesting. Jordan Love goes get to play one of the softest defenses in the league. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <and> so <laughs> he should well, put Jason, up good numbers. Yeah. Jason, it's that old joke. Well, the Chiefs are just a few players defensively away from being good. Yeah, Derek Thomas, Albert Lewis, and Dale Carter. But outside <laughs> of that, they're fine on that side of the ball. <laughs> Steve, uh, that's a good segue to Uncle Jimmy. He's the biggest Chiefs fan I know. And so uh, we'll let Uncle Jimmy put a bow on this show, uh, give a little review of our work, what he thought the highlights were, and then we'll get into an approval rating on Aaron Rodgers. All right, welcome back. Time for our approval rating and time for uh, Uncle Jimmy to give a little review of our work today. I, I started out the show saying I was going to have two fires, and man, I thought we had two fires. Two big blazing fires, but you know, I always think I do good work. Jimmy always thinks I do bad work. Uh, we'll see. We'll give Jimmy the final say-so here. Uncle Jimmy, uh, did you enjoy uh, today's show? Hey, as, as we used to say in the military, permission to speak freely, sir. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you know, man, I've come to the conclusion I realize why you single now. <laughs> You're single because everything in your life, you, you tell a woman, oh, this is about to be the greatest you've ever had in your life. This is the greatest. <laughs> yeah, this is the greatest. <laughs> and a woman be sitting there like, mm, okay, <laughs> I'm going to take your word for it. Hey, man, everything can't be the greatest. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sorry, your Isaiah Thomas. That's still one of your greatest pieces of work. I'm just saying, you know, it, it, there's levels to this, bro. Stop saying everything is your greatest. This was damn good, though. You know, it's, it's damn good. You know, I'm, I'm at an age I used to hand out, you know, all, I used to hand it out all night long. Now at my age, I just hand out three minutes of the damnedest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, man, let's... Hey... <laughs> Hey man, your do boy you have Phoenix, a? Your boy in Phoenix, my boy who? Go yeah. the, the owner in Phoenix that they they, try, they yeah. trying to run, right? Yeah. Remember in the last dance how they said how bad Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan treated that owner and general manager Jerry Krause. They mistreated manager. Jerry Krause and yeah, you the know, general. Like yeah. We like to talk about how bad we treated and how far we ain't come. You know what this what this guy needs to do, Jason, is remember a couple of years ago, uh, Steve Kerr was given the award for being the coach that could roll the best blunts in the NBA. <laughs> remember? <laughs> I do remember, yeah. I remember that, yeah. I mean, so I'm just saying, so if he wants to, he, he, he better step his game up. You know? You know what, Jim? 
I think you make an excellent point that I hadn't thought about in terms of like, we watched Last Dance and Jerry Krause, who's a white Jewish man or was, uh, was abused by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Stronzay, Stronzay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we just, yes, and it, it was awesome. And, and, you know, damn if Jerry Krause couldn't take it. Now we got guys, Corliss Williamson gets a stat sheet slammed in his face or in front of him. And this had strong racial connotations. And I, mean, I just, I just, we've gotten to a level of charm and softness that, that's, that's just mind blowing to me. Man, listen here. We have gotten to a point that we as a people get offended if somebody says that we have big lips, but we take pride in saying that we hung like a runaway slave. <laughs> Jim, uh, you're making some excellent points today. <laughs> you may start an additional fire here at the end of this uh, show. We may have three fires uh, <laughs> going today. Wow. Uh, that's that's I haven't heard you give a take yet on uh, our newest soldier, Rashad McCants. I, I, I'd like to work with Rashad McCants. Rashad McCants is fearless. Do you have a take? I like Rashad. I, I Rashad would be I, I would call Rashad if I needed to bury a body. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a brother I would call. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I'd be like, hey man, because I ain't—I I got one call. I need—I need you to come in because he's real like that. Now, I'm—I'm I'm pretty sure that he—if I bar him, he gonna have—I'm gonna have to go help him bury one too. But no, man, I, I like <laughs> brother, man. I like what he brings. He—he—he's he, he, unbridled. He—he's uh, fearless. And see, that's what we have to start getting to, man. That's what we have to start getting to, man. We have to start getting to a point that we start, we get back to a group of men that are fearless, man. You know, not scared, man. You know, we're just fearless. A group of men who don't mind holding on to their nuts. You know what I'm saying? A group of men that don't <laughs> mind saying the word nuts, okay? You don't get offended. You don't sit and go, here, take these. I don't need them anymore. You know, I mean, this this is why we call this show fearless. This is what we need to get to. Uh, let's get to our approval rating for Aaron Rodgers, who lied about uh, having COVID or having the vaccine for COVID. I'm wondering, are you are you upset with Aaron Rodgers for being caught in this lie? No. <laughs> No, not at all. There's people that are upset at Usher because he lied about not having uh, having herpes. <laughs> hey man, Usher and and he, uh, and, and he out there, he he in Atlanta handing that shit out like stimulus checks <laughs> to men and women. I'll stop this. <laughs> Oh, if I'm lying, let me hear you say, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, man, I'm sorry. 
let me get to Aaron Rodgers' job performance. Uh, I think he's been playing at an MVP level. They had won six, seven straight games. Uh, at job performance, I'm going to give him a 24. I know he's not available this week. That's why he's not perfect. But uh, I give him a 24 in job performance. Hey, what are we talking about? Job performance. All right? There you go. You see what I give him for job performance? 22. You see? Uh, That's all. Character. Job performance. Uh, character, he has been caught in a lie, uh, but it's actually a lie that I kind of like. I like the fact that he basically played a game with the media, and and so I'm not going to mark him all the way down for line, but because I kind of, it's a lie, I may, I may have been capable of telling, although I probably would have just told the truth, tell everybody to kiss my rear end. So I get 15 in character. Jason, I'm not quite positive that you ain't been lying to all of us about not getting that damn shot. You're the only one that ain't got sick. So I'm not quite positive that you ain't on some Aaron Rodgers crap yourself. You know, hey, I give Aaron Rodgers credit, man. He, he's a character. He keeps it real. Uh, hey, I give him a 20, man. I give him a 20. He's a character. Authenticity. Uh, I think he's pretty much on brand. Aaron Rodgers is kind of sneaky, and so I don't think anyone is surprised that there was going to be one quarterback who would do something like this. I bet you we would have all guessed Aaron Rodgers, so I'm going to give him a 20 in authenticity. Hey, man, you do realize that, and I know that people are going to say this is racist, as many, and it make, the black athletes make me mad when they score touchdowns and how they run and act crazy in front of the camera, right? They make me mad when they do it. But I don't think they have yet to ever have to bleep in black athlete this year. Aaron Rodgers is the only athlete that they've had to bleep this year after he scored that touchdown in Chicago and looked at the fans in Chicago and said, I effing own you. I still effing own you. That's authentic. you got to respect somebody that can grab their crotch and tell their fans that. <laughs> it factor. Uh, I'm still high on that. I, people love his hairdo. People love this Halloween costume. Uh, I have him at an it factor of 21. We have some actual agreement on that. Uh, let me tell you something, man. I'm going to be honest with you, man, about that it factor. I think, the it, I think he does have the it factor. Him and Patrick Mahomes got that it factor. Both of them dudes got something going on, and both of them want that damn Jake from State Farm, and I don't know what the hell's going on, but I wish they cut it out. I mean, you uh, know, we both first thing got now. Uh, what, what, what's it? Everybody got a nickname? Sweaty Betty. You know, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we both have Aaron Rodgers at a smoke show. I got him at an 80. You got him at 88. <sighs> man, Jim, I don't care what you say. That was our greatest show. I love that show today. Yeah, we set some I fires. Yeah, I, 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 I know somebody else that said you told them that. <laughs> Look, I'm like, girl, you he, set a little fire at the end. say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. That means we'll see you tomorrow.